Yo, I can't really do that. Um, and welcome to the Eight Four Play Podcast Number Four. I what happened to us? Yeah, I'm trying different things. We'll I see. see. That was supposed to be like one of those kabuki yells and kind of uh. turned into a yosha. We needed but, uh, like a clap in the background. Anyway, uh, you found us. You're listening to Eight Four Play, the uh, podcast about games, Japan and Japanese games. Um, the only weekly, bi-weekly podcast um, <laughs> that we know of anyway. Um, joining us today, we're back with a special guest, but before we get to him, uh, the regulars here to my right, stage left, is uh, JJ, Earth Defense Force, Defense Force, Epperson. I proudly wear that mantle. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, they showed some movie, some movies of the gameplay of the new Earth Defense Force game, and... Uh, some people have some opinions. Um, and then right next to me, um, Hiroko Red Dead Minamoto. <laughs> Hi. Who's going to be playing. Uh, very excited about the new Red Dead game, right? Yeah, I'm going to um, play the Japanese version of that game. And we heard today a little something about the, the translation right. of the Japanese version. Supposedly, it's like technically correct, but not mm-hmm. that good. Yeah, that's what I heard. Like, I, I heard that it takes place in old western, so it was. It seemed like um, it was difficult for the people to localize it because it's. Like, it's all slang. Yeah, and slang and old timey like, talk. And, right, 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 right. Yeah, and you can imagine like trying to do the reverse, which actually we have had to do. <laughs> I know yeah. before from time to time. It's definitely not easy. I wonder what the Japanese is for hog tie. Hmm. <laughs> I'll find out. Yeah, we'll get back to you and let <laughs> yeah, you know, JJ. <laughs> And uh, that, those dulcet tones are from uh, my, uh, directly across from me, uh, John Warpzone Riccardi. Warpzone. So named because you skipped the Warpzone uh, proudly. Right. right. As you were yeah. playing through uh, one of those hot latest games. I think it's called uh, Super Mario Brothers for the Nintendo. Yeah, I was actually playing through uh, the night of our birthday to celebrate right. 8-4's uh, fifth birthday the other mm-hmm. night. That's right. So we all work at a company called A4 Localizing Video Games for people who don't know, and we just had our fifth birthday, not to be confused with third birthday, which right. is a tentacle porn game <laughs> uh, <laughs> that Square is putting it out, and uh, keeping himself surprisingly quiet for such a, uh, an energetic guy, for anybody who knows him, is uh, Jake the Hurricane Castle. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, we were, I was going to say SOTS. Because you know that's the acronym for your game, right? It is. I know that. Yes. Thank Did you, you think of when you thought of the name of your game? Were you like, how are people going to abbreviate this? Do I even going to care? Like, it's not going to turn out to be like D I C K or like. No, you- no. I mean, that, you know, I gave it a quick once over and it was it cleared out, so right, it was okay. Right. Yeah. Like well, that game. Uh, what is a uh, exceeds uh, oh. trails in the sky? Which the uh, the uh, tits. <laughs> 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 kind of made yourself. Yeah. That's it reminded one. me of Empire Strikes Back a little bit, which just kind of immediately made me feel like I did the right thing. So. Right. Oh, wait. Empire Strikes Back ESB. It's ETS, right? No, it's not ETS. Empire Strikes Back. Strikes Back. Speaking of striking that, strike that. Anyway, this is basically a live tape show, so we're we're just going to leave that in there for you you folks. But we're going to be talking (laughs) more to Jake about his game, Skulls of the Shogun. We're old, old friends with Jake, and he's actually had kind of a storied career at various places in the industry, kind of a, a Forrest Gump. Uh, if you will, um, you were at Nintendo. He was at uh, even IRM for a little bit at Sega in the UGA heydays. Anyway, at EA, we're going to get into all that a little bit later. But um, 
start off basically uh what are we doing this week we haven't we, we've been promising like a segments and a show format and stuff like that we haven't quite gotten it nailed down i can save as an excuse we've been a little bit busy yeah. um and we probably will be you'll start to see some changes though probably starting next week and definitely the week after that yeah, we're um. still sort of feeling the like the trailing end of TGS. Like TGS is over, but there's you know the hurricane J- still in town. The hurricane here, Jake That's actually right. is still right. here, and so you know this is kind of his last week in town. And it was like, well, we did say we're going to be biweekly. We haven't done that yet. We may as well. You know, there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk to Jake about. So even though we didn't have one scheduled this week, let's do another podcast. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. Once again, we're going to ride this with this not being prepared thing as long as we can. And, and as a proof of how busy we've been, I was ju- we were just looking through the new uh, Famitsu Japanese Game Magazine, and uh, both me and JJ didn't realize that Okami Den is out. It came out the, right. the 30th last Thursday. Dude. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of excited for that game, but. I do not know how it fell off my radar. Yeah, so no no good excuse here except that we've just been really busy. But that is the kind of game that we're definitely going to want to pick up and play and cover on, on this uh, yeah, podcast. Yeah, definitely. By next week. But but so anyway, Fingers so crossed. what what have, in the little time that we have had, what have people been playing besides Super Mario Brothers? That's <laughs> the, uh, the latest and greatest. Um what, John, you, last night, you just got Castlevania, the new Castlevania Yes, game. Castlevania came out uh, yesterday in the U.S. and I think maybe Europe, and um, I was able to get a, a hold of an early copy. Um, by the way, I wanted to mention this last time, too, because Mark talked about how, like, we had, I forget what wording he used, but something about how we, like, used, like, shady means to get a hold of a game. Oh, yeah. He is not talking about piracy, just for the record. Oh, we, yeah. we have a lot of contacts in the industry. We get some games early. Oh, did people think I... No, I, I thought, like, wait, that kind of sounds like you're, like, I got it off the uh, internet or something, but... Well, it should um, also give our disclaimer that we're supposed to start giving at the end of every show. We do work with some of the companies that make these games, so you right. should assume that everything we say is a lie <laughs> meant to make you In fact, we've worked out a couple of Castlevania games, as it were, but... We have. Um, actually, yeah. But yeah, but so we this is the new Castlevania um, being developed outside of Japan, and so you know even though it's not a Japanese game, it's actually of great interest to me because um, Kojima Productions is sort of got involved with that game to kind of lend their touch, right? And so, right. Um, but that said, I've only I've played about three hours. I started last night and um, I played a little bit beyond the demo portion, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. That was at TGS. Um, and you know, it's, it's still too early to say, like, I, I will say one thing is for sure. It, it doesn't feel like a Castlevania game to you me. tweeted about it feeling like the, uh, one, uh, like the Shadow of the Colossus. Well, there's, yeah, like one of the early bosses, if any of you guys have played it have probably already seen because it's fairly early in the game. Like one of the first major bosses is like a total taken right out of Shadow of the Colossus, straight down to like climbing up his arms and like poking at the like glowing spots on him to oh, defeat wow. him. Um, it was fun. It was a cool fight. And in fact, it took me like 30 minutes in total because, you know, it's one of those games where you like learn and then, you, you know, you die and then you do it again and you get a little bit further and then mm. you die and you do it again a little bit further and you do it over and over until you finally get it. And it was cool. And by the end, I was like whipping up and around his back, you so know, dying in like 30 a lot. seconds. Dying a lot. Yeah. That's kind of surprising. Yeah. I mean, that's not in a lot of modern games. That doesn't happen a lot in... I- I don't. I don't feel like um, dying. I'm not. These aren't like proud. Like happy. Like sometimes you're like, oh wow, that was really awesome. The game was tough. I just got stumped. But it's not like that. It's been more like just like, oh, you know, the, I I don't know how to fight this guy yet. Um, he just beat me. It felt. I don't want to call it unfair, but like I haven't felt like these were like really especially satisfying deaths yet. But so I was surprised you you brought up Shadow of the Colossus and not God of War because God of War is the game. And when I saw that footage in the in the trailer, I think of the boss you're describing of him right. climbing up the huge boss. I just assumed. Oh yeah, that's more 
like giant scale God of War uh, boss combat. I just wanted to be more specific because everybody calls anytime you have a three D action game these these days with like big you know these big cutscenes and everything. It's always God of War, God of War, God of War. But well, and usually know. they are ripoffs, right? But this <laughs> this this particular right. scene though was like I mean to me felt I mean even right. the music sounded it's kind of like Shadow of the Colossus. Really, um, like seriously. The orchestra. What you should go check that scene and you and you can hear like the background music. It's like obviously the inspiration for this scene was that game like on all levels. Um, <laughs> It's a good game though. Like, there's a lot. The voice acting is really good. The story is whatever. It's you know, it's 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 it seems to me like a a highly polished 3D action game, but it doesn't need to be Castlevania. Apart from like the main guy looking like a Belmont, which right. he is. Uh, you know, it could be any game right now. And um, hmm. you know, it's it's I could I'm getting I'm only three hours in, and I've heard this is like a 20 hour game, and I'm starting to get feelings of you know repetition already. So I'm slightly concerned about that. Like, I feel like I'm. You know, you get you get points, and you can use them to buy new combos and you know new moves. Basically, you kind of it's kind of like a shop, and you get your moves. Like um, a Devil May Cry kind of setup. A little bit, yeah. And I don't know how I feel about that either. But like you know, to its credit, you're learning new things, and the battle system's getting more and more complicated as you go. You learn magic. You could do all these different. You know, you, you absorb souls like Onimusha at some point. You start getting more and more stuff to do. But it's already starting to feel a little bit repet- repetitive. So, I'm, you so know, but we'll you're see. but you're liking it enough. You're going to keep playing. Definitely, it. definitely. So we'll talk yeah. more about it, uh, like in, in later episodes. Yeah, yeah. I hopefully I want to I want to get through it all the way for sure. Uh, another, and then I want to talk to Kojima Productions and find out what they did to you know. What, that would be I'd cool. Love to know what they did. Yeah. Yeah, I know that they threw some some uh, weight behind it near the uh, near the end. Yeah. Some of their had some of their guys on it. Um, let's see. Uh, I mentioned Earth Defense Force. Earlier, you guys had yes. some strong opinions. I, I was, I didn't recognize it. The frame rate was like above five frames a second. It was very smooth. <laughs> yeah, this is new for the series, right? Yeah. So for people who don't know, Earth Defense Force started off as like a budget game for the PlayStation Two and the right. simple two thousands. Right. It was a simple two thousand game, which were the series of games in Japan for the PlayStation Two that came out at two thousand yen or twenty dollars, and they were like pretty basic game i mean they were not like programming feats they, they were, were they varied from some of the worst games ever made to earth's defense force which is really <laughs> yeah pretty some, much yeah you find some interesting ones right yeah they it, didn't have big budgets it was it was the series was mainly about just like you know trying something new no matter how bad it was so so and and on that note what what was earth defense force it was basically just like shitloads of ants right shitloads <laughs> giant, giant ants stuff on the screen you know, constantly destructible, shooter. completely destructible environments, right. explosions, alien ships, funny, silly voice acting, like kind of B movie, like total B movie, right? Um, feel, and then just bigger and bigger explosions, right? Yeah. Right. And so it's it's come out now a, a few different times in a few just different systems. It came to the West, mm. came to America on uh, Xbox three sixty, right? And uh, actually got some acclaim there. Although honestly, personally, and you guys were jumping on me <laughs> before, but like. I still couldn't, you know, the controls were still, I still didn't like them. Like, it st- I didn't think the game still looked great. I love the idea of, like, crazy over-the-top just insanity going on. Uh, but, I don't know, I just couldn't get over how, how it would chug from time to time. That's right. That, yeah, I mean, we talked about that earlier. Well, you guys are like, no, that's a feature. That, no, that's it's, it, awesome. It is, it is. I mean, <laughs> one of the best things about the game is when, like, there's tons of shit on screen and you're just sitting there with, like, this huge rocket launcher and you let it go and this explosion just makes things go, like, at three frames per second and it's like, explode, oh, shit, <laughs> you know. Well done. Yeah. It's, 
That's uh, that's what's so fun about it. It's, it's like you really feel that explosion. So, and you guys are actually honestly disappointed that the new one like runs smoothly. It's not. I won't. It's not that I'm disappointed. It doesn't. Mm. It can run smoothly if if what they've shown so far has been worrisome because they haven't showed a lot of enemies on screen at the same time. Hmm. They've got these new gameplay systems that I don't fully understand them yet. But like basically, you're gonna kind of you can kind of choose your weapons. It's become like, instead of luckily getting drops, because it was kind of a drop game, it was like a loot game, you would play over and over to try to get these like hard-to-find weapons because they were completely random. Hmm. Um, and that's apparently gone now, and you, you kind of choose which weapons you want to buy with the credits you earn, which kind of sucks out all the replayability. You beat the game once, you buy the weapons you want, and there's no more like, you know, what am I going to get? It was really was a loot game at heart. That seems so weird to me that you want it to be the random, like, gun, and it's not even the same one each time, like, you know, Contra or something. I'm like, oh, I know, you know, the spreadshot's well, going to be over picture here. This, picture this scene. There's, like, you know, billions of bugs all over the place. You have, like, hardly any health left, and you see, like, a weapon icon, like, on the far end of the screen. That was one cool thing about the icons, mm. is you could see them forever away, because mm. they were, like, little 2D, right? And you basically make the decision to kind of Gun, you know, run for it, and it's like life or death, running through like hordes of ants and explosions and shit flying all over the place, and then you get that weapon, and then like that kind of you know thrill was a big part of the game. So if they take that out, I don't know how it's going to work. The you way know? it worked in uh, uh, their newest game for the Wii, Zangeki no Regenlife, is that like monsters it's kind which, of a similar. It, yeah, it's it's like setup. a sword and sorcery version of uh, the Earth Defense, uh, Earth Defense Force formula. And uh, uh, they would spat out different types of coins. And, like, you know, each weapon would require you to have a certain coin at a certain amount and stuff like that. I assume that's probably what they're going to do with this new Earth right. Defense Force. But it did, it did like what John was saying, it take out a big part of what was fun about the original. Maybe. And so, this, yeah, I guess, the, the, to get to the point here, the short of it is this is a different developer from before. So the developer for the old games was Sandlot, Japanese developer that mm. did the game JJ was just talking about as well. Um, now they're, I don't know, overseeing it or something, but they're not the developer. Mm. Um, I actually forgot who the developer is. You don't know offhand, do you? Um, I do not. So the new developer's in the U.S., um, and it's a different developer, and that's, you know, part of the concern. But... The, the main thing to take away is we really don't know. It's too early to say. We've just right. seen a few videos. Maybe they're not showing it off all the great stuff yet because they want to build up. You it's know. not just because white people are working on this that you're skeptical, <laughs> no. is well, it? Well, I, I will say, though, that I like that they're adding different classes and they, they brought back the flying class. And right, I think that's a, that's a good thing, like that they're adding more different styles of play. And no, no, it's not just because of white people, but it's because an unproven <laughs> developer that so far, from the, from the limited information they've chose to show us, hasn't convinced me that they get it you know what i mean like if mm. they really get it then that's fine but you know i'm super happy they're adding online co-op i think three people which is great um but yeah. you know I, i'm not convinced yet that they really understand what made the games great so we'll see okay uh, yeah this i mean it was a sandlot game they know what they're doing so it's it's you know they're newcomers okay and we, we're not going to talk much about this but the game that you guys are not playing i thought was interesting pokemon is uh, pretty much DOA dead in the water for <laughs> you guys. Yeah, already kind of right? over it. I'm, really? Yeah, it's just like I couldn't get into the story. It's for kids, uh, you know. Uh, you, you thought picking it up, maybe the story was going to be. I thought it was going to be a, a couple years older than when I what I got. I you keep getting older. Pokemon stays the same. I, it's like <laughs> high school girls, right? <laughs> Pokemon is never going to change because it's you know the older people will see it as you know nostalgic, and then the younger people. Right. I think it stays yeah. at the same age. Mm. They'll make a new series if it's for older people, probably right. Yeah. 
I just I'm, yeah. I, I, I want to be super careful not to knock Pokemon because I think it is a, it's it's still every bit the amazingly deep, like crazily balanced, you know, strategic game it was before. But I just will say something is missing. Like for me, anyway. Like I I you know I play every few years. I skip a couple generations, then I play and I get crazy into it. And I did again, you know, a couple years back, but. This one, um, I got to, like, the main city, which is not far in, like, maybe two and a half badges in, and, like, I was just, I don't know, I was sort of like, ah, I've kind of had enough. Like, the monsters aren't that cute this time, they're not that interesting, <laughs> the designs, like, it's sort of a little, you know. They're running out of just, I mean, I think so. designs for the monsters, it's kind of funny, like, they're kind of putting the legs from this monster together with that one, I mean, there's only right. so many little, little cutesy things you can make. <laughs> Right, well, absolutely. And, you know, as a local, we're a localization company, right? So one thing I was doing is I was playing the game in Japanese and reading it, because it's simple Japanese, enough that even I have no problem, you know, grasping it. And I was thinking how well-written it is. Like, they really put a lot of care into every single character's writing. So with that in mind, I went and picked up um, the last one that came out in English, uh, Soul Silver, because that was one of my favorites back in the day, and I wanted to see how it was localized. So, which I, I haven't played enough to know yet, but I will say, just picking it up and turning it on, I'm more into that one than I was in this one. Hmm. I don't know if it's because it's a remake and I'm familiar with it, or right. I just you know the monsters are again like more interesting, but something about it. So. Speaking of great localizations, um, they <laughs> announced the name for the new for that Fist of the North Star game oh, God. for America, right? <laughs> Yeah, uh, Fist of this. So first of all, this is uh, Hokuto Muso, which is the Japanese name, which is uh, kind of the Fist of the North Star, like meets Dynasty Warriors game. Right. And the name is uh, Fist of the North Star Ken's Rage. Yes. Which uh, <laughs> he's like, he gets out of his car and just like starts beating on the driver in front of him. It's like total primal rage. rage. Primal Rage was taken. Yeah. <laughs> only Ken's Rage left. It's un- what's, what is with the names lately? That's a really unfortunate name. And then there was the other one that I was complaining about to you a couple uh, of weeks ago. Uh, Cla- Cla- yeah. Cla- so they took the Classic Dungeon, which is a sort of old school dungeon RPG with the name that kind of made sense. Which, and, I, which I played, and it's a pretty good game. Yeah, it's, it's not a bad game. It's from uh, NIS Software, Nipponichi. Right. And, um... And the the U.S. version they decide to call Cladun, which is like a shortened form of Classic Dungeon, C L A D U N. So oddly, Japanese version. Uh, it's almost more Japanese than the Japanese name. Absolutely, is. Yeah, yeah. Classic yeah. Dungeon would have been a great name to call it, but I think they. I, I don't know. Like I have no idea what they thought behind it, but you have to think that some you know marketing guy was like, it worked for Pokemon. Like let's do right, it for this game right. too, and it's like. But Pokemon rolls off the tongue. Cladun sounds like like a venereal disease or something. My buddy Chris over at Cappy Games was tweeting about it, and he was totally in love with it. He kept calling it Caldun. Yeah, Caldun. Caldun. Really? Someone like Caldun, Caldun, Caldun take me away. <laughs> but it sounds a little bit more. Yeah, it rolls off the tongue a little bit. Right, easier. a little better than Cladun. It just doesn't work. It could be. I mean, I'm sure there's legal stuff somewhere. And Classic Dungeon does sound kind of like generic, like white, you know, black letters on a white thing. Classic Dungeon, Ken's Rage. That's kind of like. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was the point, but anyway, yeah. Um, other stuff, just to wrap up what we've been talking about this week. Uh, Monster Hunter Try, an 8-4 joint, back in the news. <laughs> we love any excuse we can get to talk about it. Um, not just the new stuff in uh, Famitsu this week. What was that new stuff, JJ? It was like different colored palette-swapped bosses, basically. So what wasn't in Try were subspecies. And, and throughout Monster Hunter, there's always been subspecies species of monsters, which are just like color variations with different style of attacks. 
Mm-hmm. So, like, they announced that Kurupeko is, uh, he now has lightning attacks, and he's red and cool looking. It's amazing that it's, like, <laughs> this is, like, multi-page news, and, I mean, that's just, like, yeah. the, the mania. I mean, it is, like, it's, like, Final Fantasy does the same thing, you know? They show a new, like, hubcap for a, a new car in Final Fantasy thirteen, and it gets, like, six pages. <laughs> well, right? I, re- I remember, uh, before Final Fantasy thirteen came out, every week for at least three months, there were 16-page spreads every week in Final right. Fantasy. Yeah. Right. So that's what we're doing now with Monster Hunter, and People do get excited. I mean, to a person who doesn't play Monster Hunter, it's a palette-swapped boss from an old game. Right. But that's actually, like... And just so you know, we're talking about the PSP version right now, Portable 3rd, which is coming out in December. But yeah, yeah, so they showed some new versions of the monsters. I saw a different colored uh, Royal Ludroth in there, too. Right, there's a Poison Royal Ludroth and a snow-based Baroth. Is it? It's kind of weird that this excites me <laughs> like know. to no end. I'm just I, I like, can't wait to play. There, this there game. are like four guys listening to this right now, going yes. Yeah, and I know. then everybody's like, I'm high fiving you guys right now. I can't so, wait. And the reason uh, that Monster Hunter was in the news uh, is that Kotaku ran a story. They they do this thing. Steven Totolo runs um, on what are the Wii games that everybody's playing the most based on the Wii channel stats that uh, that are automatically updated that you can opt into. And Monster Hunter, despite only being on the chart for I think since June it totally started charting right mm-hmm. like just the you can see on the graph it just shoots straight up and it actually overtook Smash Brothers which has been the number one game since it started and I think the average playtime for somebody who's rented or bought it anybody who's gone online with it is about 80 almost exactly 80 hours that is insane which is insane but if you've ever played Monster Hunter it makes complete sense yeah considering yep. I played it for 150 hours so and right. I'm one of those people you know contributing to that chart so yeah so it's crazy i mean there's there might not be that many you know relative to the call of duties and other things in the world playing monster hunter but the people who are playing it are freaking hardcore like if they can convert that somehow if they can you know get that mania that the certain segment has for monster hunter and sort of mm. spread it out a little bit they could really you know have something i hope they do i'd love to have definitely other people playing yes um so let's see what else. Uh, there's a lot of a PSP two talk I noticed like this week. Um, mm-hmm. People are starting to talk. There's some rumors about uh, a release date. I think Destructoid had something that it would might be uh, late next year. Um, it's kind of interesting timing, especially since the Nintendo event was like just last week. So like Nintendo shows their cards, and now you're starting to hear um, sort of off the record developer stuff talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about time though. Seriously. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, you know, I brought this up with uh, with Chogun today, and uh, <clears throat> you know, it's it's perfect timing to get that thing out going soon in the West because the PSP is effectively kind of dead. And he he was just like, well, Ma- you know, Mohang, right? Like, oh, Monster Hunter here is just you know, it's booming here. It's just yeah. like the market's just you know, still just booming along. Like with no, they're caught no in a, of slowing down. Yeah. It's a weird spot for them to be in, and I don't envy them trying to you know get rid of that fan base but you know the american stuff is just dead so i mean they have to do something the Jap- later. yeah the japanese publishers are in a weird place because you saw at tgs and and before this last year you've seen a lot of big budget psp games and they're still coming out and if sony announces you know psp2 before say monster hunter comes out or whatever you know that kind of is a kick in the teeth to anybody right. who has like one of right. these big budget games coming out but at the same time you know so they don't want to screw up japan but at the same time the west is like we need the next thing you know where is the next thing we want the next thing so um i think it will dilute a little bit of the excitement too i think around the 3ds just by the fact that you have you have no competition right now for a high-end 
like you know who, who knows what the specs of this PSP two thing are going to be, but if it's right. anything like the PSP was at the time it came out, we've heard. I mean, we've we've been here. I've been hearing since E three rumors that it's going to be really powerful. I really hope so. Right. We were just talking about it at lunch today, but like I want that feeling again. That that I still remember the day I got my PSP <laughs> launch day and like took it out of the box and turned on Ridge Racer, and I was just like. Oh my god! Like time, like warp. I, I did just go into warp zone like five years into the future, and it's like I felt yeah. like I was playing then the future. You, then you took the infamous picture that like you know came back to bite you in the butt when the DS started selling. I didn't bite me in the butt. It made me kind of popular. I kind of like oh, the one where you were licking the PSP. The one where I was like, I had to, yeah, right, exactly. I got, got my job that job. way. Yeah. Dude, my and finger cramped up so bad playing that PSP. I was playing Wipeout and Ridge Racer, and my thumb would just cramp oh, up. Yeah, like, I don't know if my hands are too big or what, but I just I had to stop playing. Well, how do you think Monster Hunter fans feel? We have to do that like claw thing if we want to play on the PSP. We're all going to be able to point you out. That guy played too much Monster Hunter back in the day. In other awesome portable hardware news, the jungle. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's gonna be uh, it's gonna be good in Korea, right? Is it though? Is I it gonna mean, be good anywhere? In in America, like I I can think of a lot dude, of people World who of Warcraft. Just love, yeah, Get that thing going, have, man. Let's let's talk about okay, portals in America. Wow, yes, with course. armory on there, you know. And I thought the same thing at first, but when you actually think about it, and this again was uh, Kotaku, I think did a piece. If you look at a World of Warcraft screen and the stuff you see on a World of Warcraft screen, imagine shrinking that down. To like even like four inches across, like health bars on other people. I mean, there's even text. Like, you, how the hell? Are you? you don't understand. It doesn't even have to be like full on playability. If they can just, just go, farming. if they can like farm, if they can go look at their auctions, that's enough. Right. But how right. portable is that thing really? I mean, I I, I want to preface. I don't really know much about this. I saw it was announced, and honestly, I kind of didn't care, so I didn't really right. read up about it. But like, it's not really that portable right isn't it more like kind of like a little like no, well, mini netbook size or something say or? real quick i think people were saying the roughly gba size it is oh okay it, it is yeah. smaller okay okay but it, it so for people who don't know this is a panasonic uh system it's being it's a basically like a little mini pc mm. um kind of a clamshell design it's called the jungle it's supposedly linux based although i haven't seen that confirmed anywhere um, so that's another thing that people are saying. Well, that might be kind of a pain in the ass. You can get Windows stuff to run on it, but you no know, oh, Linux. Yeah, I whatever. Right. I mean, yeah. So um, people love Linux. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Google Google the jungle if you want to read more about it. But uh, I thought I mean, it was really weird that they announced it with like a new cartoon. It was like new MMO and new cartoon. I I don't know what that was all about. I missed that. Entirely. I missed that too. Yeah. And the tra- if you watch the trailer, like they. It's, yeah. Anyways. All right. Well, I think does anyone got anything else that they've been doing this week to talk about? We're gonna talk with our friend uh, Jake about what he's been doing. Top secret this week. <laughs> Top secret meetings in Tokyo. Secret. Dark shady alleys. Right. But there Skyscrapers. is there is a ton of stuff you can talk about. So uh, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, we're gonna talk about uh, past, present, and future with one Mister Jake Castle. So we're back, and uh, Jake, for people who don't know you, the, the reason people might have heard of you recently is Skulls of the Shogun. Um, we're going to get in-depth into it here in a minute, but why don't you give the quick, uh, like your quick elevator pitch for Skulls of the Shogun. You've probably given about 
two, <laughs> three hundred times over the last yeah, uh, couple months. Yeah, I'm getting pretty good at this. Um, <laughs> so it's a turn-based strategy game, but we've decided to quit calling it that because the big publishers are not understanding the fact that it's very different than traditional turn-based strategy games. So it's an action strategy game now. Nice. Mm-hmm. I yes. like action strategy. Mm-hmm. All right. Action strategy. Um, Capital on the action. Lots of action. It actually is very active. It's uh, The Edge preview said, that, like, arcade It said, yeah, I mean, it's really, wars with arcade It's like It's like reassembled sort of with an arcade feel, and that's basically been my goal the whole time. Like, when I play Advance Wars and Fire Emblem and Shining Force, all these things, I love the combat in these games, but I hate wading through menus, and I hate equipping stuff in submenus, and I hate, like, <laughs> clicking around through the submenu of the submenu and equipping something else and deciding to turn north and confirming to that. And I just, I love the combat, and I love the, you know, the fast-paced strategic combat of the, of the best elements of these games, and I decided to sort of create a game based completely around that. And then the aesthetic is also something that... The aesthetic is also, I mean, you know, I've, I've been a concept artist in games for, for a long time, and I've done a lot of sort of high-end sort of sci-fi stuff and, and kind of the real, you know, mature, serious-looking game work. And I kind of wanted to get away from that as far as possible and go back to my roots as a 2D animator and do something that was very stylized and something that would stand out. I mean, when you look at strategy games of any kind, really, you've got, you know, past military, modern military, future military, (laughs) or orcs and elves. Like, that's kind of what you get for the most part, you know. And so I wanted to do something that would stand on its own visually and, uh, you know, something that would really set itself apart when people would look at it and would have an identity. I mean, as a visual designer, that's sort of my job is to create something that, you know, is going to stand out and people are going to look at it and be like, oh, that's that game. And Mm. it's basically like the 60s anime, uh, like Japanese 60s Yeah, look, I I really am a huge fan of Japanese anime. You know, I lived in Japan for about five years altogether and I I got really big into sort of 60s uh, anime turns out before Disney well not before Disney but before the uh, the Adam you know Astro Boy stuff kind of right. came by and the really sort of limited cheap TV animation Japanese film animation used to be really big budget I mean it used to be like really competitive with, with Disney stuff I mean like full full productions you know very expensive very beautiful beautiful artwork mm-hmm. and a lot of that stuff sort of uh, kind of got left by the wayside when they sort of went towards streamlining costs and sort of doing it a lot more simplified you know the traditional anime thing that you think of is like the, you know the right. very cheaply produced you know single frame being kind of pulled across like back in the right, day right. it was, it was more like Bambi or something like Snow White. I mean, it was very full blown animation, very very beautiful. Well, work. it wasn't that long. I mean, Akira and that sort of stuff. Well, Akira is sort of different. 80s Akira, Akira is yeah. I mean, I'm talking about the, the stuff sort of in the mid to late 60s. But it's not Speed Racer, right? Then it went to shit. Yeah, right? that was kind of like right after that. <laughs> right. Yeah, right, no, the right. earlier stuff. But um, you know, an interesting side note: the um, one of the things that really got me into this was when I was working at Sega in. Uh, was it 2002, I think, that uh, Wind Waker came out in Japan for GameCube? It was around then, yeah, sure. And I just freaked out when I saw it. I, I thought that was the most beautiful, amazing-looking video game ever made. I still kind of think that. I yeah. just It was <laughs> blew me away, and I found out through uh, you know some of my guys that I worked with on Res that it was art-directed by one of the guys who was one of the original art-directors of those films back in the 60s. You showed me the movie, and it actually looked like I was yeah, it looking looks at just Wind, like Waker. Wind Waker. Exactly yeah. the what same. movie is this? It's called Wanpaku Oji. It's a toy film from, I think, the late 60s. You could get it pretty much anywhere. I, it might be out of print now, but I mean, it used to anywhere be widely in available in Japan. Yeah, right. You can still find it. We should link to something. Uh, yeah, I'll find can. something on YouTube. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's, it's fantastic. And so there's this whole era of stuff that's just this great, great, you know, unique character designs. And a lot of the old stuff, I mean, I just going on a shopping spree today, actually, and went down to Mandaraki and found a bunch more of this stuff. But sort of the, even the late 50s, even the black and white stuff, the character design is really cool. Like, you know, it had to be com- completely communicated in just black and white. So it was these very simple shapes and very strong poses. 
And it was a really unique look that I think has sort of just been, you know, wiped away by time. And I just thought that it was a fantastic look. And I wanted to take that and marry that with uh, sort of modern urban vinyl, which I'm a huge fan of. I'm right. A huge, you know, I love the Character Kid goods. Robot and the Monkey King, that kind of stuff. You know, and I, I'm a huge fan of that sort of really, you know, urban vinyl character right. design style. And so I tried to do something that was sort of a mashup between the two. And, uh, you know, people love it. So I feel like uh, we did a, a pretty good job. Yeah, I think the look is definitely like one of the more distinct things. Yeah. Um, you hit on uh, a couple of the, the companies in the past that you worked for, and we mentioned them earlier. But why don't we start... With the start, was was Nintendo, was that your first job? Yeah. You're from so, the Seattle area. Yeah, I'm, I'm from Seattle. I grew you up. You worked at Nintendo, like, in the days. In like. the day, man, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I grew up in Woodenville, which is right next to Redmond, Washington, which is where Microsoft and Nintendo have their headquarters. And uh, my one of my best friends, older sister, got a job at Nintendo in high school. And Doing was, what? She was, like, in customer service, like, helping people hook up their, you know, their okay. NESs that they got for Christmas. And they couldn't figure out how to plug in the cables because they were, you know, just getting used to that kind of thing. Right. <laughs> and I was like... Nintendo, you could get a job there, you know. Like, and I found out there were actually kids who went in there and played games all day, and got paid good money, and then when people got stuck on the phone, they would call in and say, "Hey, I, you know, I can't find the eye sword in this crystal cave." Game counselors, game counselors, yeah. yeah. I mean, this was like a big deal, and I had called a bunch of game one eight hundred two five five three seven zero zero. Yeah, oh yeah. Nintendo gameplay. This is Jake. How can I help you today? One eight hundred two. Like, it yeah, was yeah. Free. It, was, it was free for a while. It was free for a while. When again. I moved. When I joined on, I think right about then, maybe one, halfway through my, my stint there, uh, they went to charging. And we had to tell people, like, this is a local, you know, toll call. Tell your parents. That, right. You know, make sure that your parents know that you're going to get charged for this call. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there was a lot of adventures there. But anyway, that was like 16. I had this awesome job. I was a huge game freak, and I got to play all these games for free. And I got to play, you know, every 8-bit game pretty much that you've heard of. So I mean, how did that work? Did they have, like, a, a big library of all the games, basically? Yeah, they had and, a like, game, and I think there was a quote. I think you had to play a couple a week or something like that. Like Didn't you have a Bible? Wasn't there a binder? Yeah, yeah, we had we had giant binders. We did actually have a computer system called Elmo that was like it had a lot of the main like the major ask questions. Yeah. But a lot of times, like, you know, maybe ninety percent or eighty percent of the questions you would get would be like in the top ten questions. Like people would always get stuck looking for the same sword or whatever. So even though a bunch right. of the games maybe I didn't play through all the way, I kind of memorized the answers and I could even sort of, you know, right. ad lib and pretend like I really knew what I was talking about when I totally didn't. <laughs> but then every once in a while you get some other really detailed question, they'd be really stuck and you have to like put them on hold and go find the you know, the expert who was like the highlight guy or the you know oh, wow. <laughs> whatever Sorry for yeah. that guy yeah, yeah. that guy and he would just like okay yeah I know what he's talking about and he'd draw you a little map or whatever but you did play a lot of games and a lot of the stuff you know after you played it once and you answered thirty thousand questions about the same thing you were pretty good at like they were kind of against you like coming right out and telling people what to do like they're all about sort of self-exploratory <laughs> like you know well did you think about this like oh oh yeah okay thanks man okay bye you know like was, <laughs> was that was that like because uh, they wanted to keep them on the phone because it get they no, 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 just no. because they no, wanted no, no, to, like no. they just wanted people to like you know kind of feel the right the Nintendo the magic, kind of magic yeah. okay the old Sierra hint guides I remember it used to come with one of those markers and the hints you'd be like okay I'm stuck I'm looking for the sword I can't find it yeah, and you'd yeah, be yeah. like the first one would be like, oh, where do swords, where are swords usually kept? And then the next one would be like, did you try looking behind the stove? And then it's like, it's right fucking exactly here, okay? <laughs> like, finally, if you, you use that magic ink to reveal the third one. Right. I, I remember everybody, a- it was Zelda, it was, uh, you know, the fairy, or no, the guy that sat outside the cave that says grumble, grumble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're like, oh. well, what, what goes grumble, grumble? People are like, you know, what, what part of your body goes grumble, grumble? Oh, 
his stomach. Oh, he's hungry. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, I get it. Okay, thanks, man. Exactly. I remember getting stuck there. Actually, that was like I got level stuck seven. There for a few hours. Yeah, and for so long. All right. So, wait, craziest question? Is there one that sticks out in your head? The craziest question of your time? At, uh, okay. So we were not allowed. People were not allowed to play the game while they were talking to you. This okay. was a strict rule. You can't do this. Right. You got to. You got to take notes because you know they'll die and they'll have to start over. And like, no, no. Listen, yeah. kid. <laughs> put down the controller. Pick up a pen and paper, and I'm going to tell you exactly what to do. Listen carefully. You know, and so this, I got this one kid this one day. I, mean, I think it was Final Fantasy. I think he was stuck in some cave somewhere. It was either Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest or Dragon Warrior. I forget which one it was. But he was stuck in a cave and he's like, okay, okay, so what do I got to do? I'm like, okay, and so put down the controller, you know, grab your pen and paper. And I'm gonna, you know, you go north for four steps and then you go east for four steps. Okay, hold on a second. Go, 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 go. Go, 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 go. Okay, and then what? I'm like, are you writing this down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and so, you know, then you go north four steps and you go left two screens. Okay, hold on, hold on. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Are you really writing this down, kid? Yeah, yeah, don't worry, don't worry. So this went on for like five minutes. And then he comes back, he's like, I died. I'm like, dude, come on, man. Like, that's why you write it down, dude. Yeah, there was, I mean, a lot of interesting stuff like that. I actually think I hung up on that kid. And I I happened to be getting monitored by my my buddy Tim, who's still, he's actually still at Nintendo. He's got a much, you know, cooler job now. But Tim's still there, and he came over to my desk, and he's like, dude... I was like, oh, because they would listen in on your calls and make right. sure that you were not, you know, busting the rules or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of rules, but uh, he was like, dude, you know, that kid, yeah, I mean, I'll give it to you. That kid was, you know, <laughs> a killer, but he you still, it. you can't do that. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. So, <laughs> and then you were at IREM for a bit, and then Enix? So, yeah, I, um, I kind of, uh, this is actually a good story. The Super Famicom was coming out in Japan. It had been announced, and the Genesis was sort of cleaning up the market in the States at the time. And Nintendo was making so much money on the, on the NES, they were like, we don't want to announce that we're bringing out this other one because people are going to stop buying it. They're like freaking out. They're like, okay, so just tell everybody we're not, it's not coming here. We're just going to stick with the NES forever. Like, they literally told us to tell people this. Because a lot of people would call, not <laughs> yeah, just like, oh, you, you guys bringing that Super Nintendo out? Yeah. You know? And we're like, no, no, no. You know, the NES is a, is a solid piece <laughs> of machine, and we're going to stay with it forever. And, you know, and, and it was just ridiculous. But um, I remember it was EGM Magazine, actually. They had that, that old, the first picture of the Super Famicom right, with all yeah, orange buttons and everything before it kind of got changed a little bit. the explosion in space, right. hurtling towards, yeah. And I was just, you know, overwhelmed. And a buddy of mine uh, that had been my lead um, got transferred down to I mean I'm not gonna name names here in case he gets in trouble but he got he got transferred down to the R&D unit which is where they sort of evaluated Japanese games and kind of just decided if they were gonna be you know valid for right. release in the West probably like that's that, the modern day treehouse I guess is probably yeah I mean this is probably right? the very yeah. the very early stages of that and so he came down to my desk one night he's like hey what are you doing after work I said oh you know I'm just going home whatever he's like why don't you stop by R&D on the way out of here I was like are you kidding me like really so he came and got me at, at eight o'clock and when the shift ended and he took me down there and he had a key card I remember I was like. 17 or 18 mm. at the time he had a key card he swipes it through we go into this dark room and this is like probably three months maybe before the Japanese Super Famicom was launched in Japan right. and I go into this dark room and it took me a minute for my eyes to adjust and I looked around and I was surrounded by TV sets playing Super Famicoms like everybody was playing <laughs> either Pilot Wings or F-Zero or Super Mario World and my heart stopped oh and my, my brain exploded and that explains <laughs> why I am this way today <laughs> I never recovered it was like the coolest thing that he's like, he's like go ahead amazing. play it I mean it literally was like a dream it was like some crazy you know 
kid wet dream just yeah, like man, my, 17, my kid I mean, self at that time i don't think i could have been able to I, take like, it I, I couldn't <laughs> i was it. a sega fan i'd have been like whatever <laughs> <laughs> wait so do you remember was it were they on like dev units or was it on no the they, were, they were super famicoms they were on super famicoms yeah wow but i got to play it for like 20 minutes or something like that and i just you know i'll never forget that day it's like touching the face of god when f-zero when you know you zooms in and like the mode 7 and all the colors because the genesis i mean i had a genesis but the colors were kind of weak on the genesis straight up i mean you know they just that's true there was like 52 colors or something like that and the super famicom literally had like thousands of thousands of colors and i remember the richness just like saturating my eyeballs and being a visual guy anyway i just i couldn't handle it man it was incredible so anyways uh i quit that in high school convinced my parents that it was affecting my grades even though i just wanted to snowboard more i had tons of cash (laughs) saved up because i didn't have any rent or you know anything to, to pay for um and then when the super famicom came out i bought that uh from japan through game fan actually i think Game, oh right, Game Fan Magazine used yeah. to sell probably games. for like, eight hundred dollars. It was, like, was six hundred bucks, and it came with like heroes. Radius Three, I think. And then uh-huh. I bought like Act Razor and Pilot Wings, and Mario came like. I remember the night Mario came. I came back from snowboarding one night. I had like a final test the next morning. Like I had to wake up like six a.m. and my mom's like, "There's a package for you." I'm like, "No, <laughs> not tonight." <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, I I did I stopped myself at a couple games, but um. So you I, ended up at Iram though. I ended up at and no, yes. I met the guys at Annex because I was stuck in ActRaiser. I was stuck in the Japanese version of ActRaiser. And it turned out ActRaiser, or Annex had an office right down the street. And so I went in there. I started bugging them. It was Rob Gerald. Do you remember Rob? Yeah, I remember Rob. And uh, I was bugging him for, for work. I was like, I want to work here. This is awesome. You know? And he's like, well, we don't really have anything. So he hooked me up with a job at Irem doing the same sort of project evaluation, like playing games and seeing, like, this is way too nice. wacky. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the whole staff was Japanese, basically. And it was like, you know, hey, kid, is this game normal? Would you play this? I'm like, no. no. What games are we <laughs> talking about? There was, like, some weird, like, construction games and like like Japanese koji like you know the little hats on little helmets and everything and like you're jumping around doing all this weird stuff and I was just like I don't know what's going on did they listen to you? The game never came out, so there you go. <laughs> um, but I did. I play tested like what's that golf? Was it Lynx or what was the one with the, the trackball? I think that was an Iron game. Hmm. Uh, anyway, did you get to play R Type and stuff like that too? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. there was I mean, a bunch of stuff. I mean, it was great. Again, it was a total you know fantasy for a, a right. video game nerd like me. Um, and then ended up getting the job at NX when Rob got moved on to uh, production, and I was uh, a game counselor there for about a year. And with all the Dragon Quests, this is like right when Super Famicom came out, so there was like a lot or Super Nintendo. So a lot of the early uh, NX Super Nintendo stuff, like Illusion of Gaia, actually is my first game oh. great game credits ever in a oh, game. Oh, nice. nice. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, well, here's, here's a kind of a crazy story about that. So this is, Jake and I met in, uh, like, I don't know, well, met, quote unquote, in like 2000 or 2001 or something no, like that. No, it was 99. 90 well, whenever, yeah, it was late 90s. But it turns out that I actually talked to him on the phone when he was at Enix. Because because here's here's how I figured it out is because I was playing Dragon Quest V actually is a really big game for me because that was the first Japanese role playing game that I bought and that's what I used to sort of start teaching myself Japanese and eventually why I'm here right now long time ago that was right. 1992 I was playing the game and I got stuck because I didn't know anything about Japanese and I was like what am I gonna do there's no, this is before the internet right there was no right. like I couldn't like look it up on mm-hmm. GameFAQs or something and I was like I'm gonna try calling the Enix hitline because maybe those guys have played it <laughs> and I called and I got that guy Rob that Jake was talking about and he helped me out and then we ended up it ended up that he actually called me for help like a, a, a couple weeks later that Rob guy because he was stuck in the game and I had gotten further than him which is hilarious I had a wow. game counselor calling wow. me for help but so through those calls, I remember every now and then I would call and a dude would answer and it wasn't Rob and it was a guy <laughs> named Jake. And then I found wow. out years later that wow. he was the only Jake who ever it was them, him and Rob basically. So we effectively talked like nine years before we met that's, on the that's phone. Crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Star pretty lovers. funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> meant, truly meant to be together. Yep. So anyway, and then after so Enix. actually Rob got bumped onto uh, production. They were we were producing a King Arthur game with uh, with an outsourcing house in the Seattle area. That. 
And so I was doing all the game counseling and stuff. And so Rob knew that I liked to draw. I, you know, I was a big artist, you know, just growing up. I drew all the time. He's like, and he would show me stuff. And I was like, God, I can do that, man. I can do that. I was like, wait a minute. I should do that. Like, I had no direction in my life. Like, I had, you know, I'd been to Japan once, I think. What, you? The hurricane? Yeah. No, I'd, I'd been to Japan in college, and I kind of took a year off college because I didn't, really didn't know what I wanted to do. Like, I'd studied marketing and stuff. I was like, I'm going to kill myself if I have to go to work every day in a suit. Like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. So I went to go home and watch cartoons and play games and draw. I'd be like, what should I do with my life? <laughs> and so Rob showed me some sketches, you know, of development of, of a video games, like early, early concept art and stuff like that. And I was like, dude, I could do that, and I could have a job. That would be awesome, and I could still do video games, you know? So I quit NX and went to uh, school. Went to uh, Art Institute in Seattle for a year, and then uh, went to the Vancouver Film School and graduated from the animation program there, and then rolled right into you know production in video games, working with the same guy who took me into R and D that fateful night really? years earlier. He nice. started a small game studio there. I was only there for a bit, and then I went to Boss Game Studios where we worked on Spider for PlayStation and uh, mm-hmm. Twisted Edge Snowboarding was like my big baby. I was a big snowboarding. I was the only like heavy duty snowboarder on the game, so I, I had a lot of uh, feedback on that game. Didn't turn out great, but my stage was pretty good. That was N sixty four, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. And that was where you. That's were where plucked. I met. Uh, yeah, I was Out lucky of... enough to get introduced to Tetsuya Mizuguchi in uh, Atlanta at uh, E3 1998, which I kind of feel like is where I met you the first time. Actually, maybe. Okay, no, um, I was in Japan. I was no, because I, I met him before I moved to Japan. Mm, maybe not you. But I, I definitely met you. Yeah, I was at a Sony anyway, party or something. We'll figure this we'll out in the later, but Anyways, yeah. <laughs> so Mizuguchi san and I uh, got drunk and had sat down for dinner and we talked a lot about games and I, I just had some crazy ideas and. I had seen this music video that I thought was just the most amazing thing ever, and uh, it was directed by a Japanese animation director. And I was like, "Well, you probably never heard of this guy." And it's like this crazy psychedelic thing. And I was like, "Everything's booming around, and the music's going crazy." And I want to do a game like that, man. And he was like, "We should talk." And so, <laughs> this is, you know, he was kind of Rez was just getting born in his head at the time, and so he invited me to come out to Japan. And I went right back after E3 to my to my job, and I was like, "You guys, I need to take a vacation." Like, why don't you just took like a week off? I'm like, I gotta take another week off. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, I just I'll be back in a week. See ya. So I got my buddy Dominic, and we went to Japan and uh, went partying with Mizuguchi and uh, sat down and talked to him a bunch of stuff. And a couple weeks later, I got an email saying, "Hey, all right, you're you're hired." So. That awesome. uh, yeah, that changed my life. That was 1998, and my visa had a hard time going through, and so I didn't end up moving to Japan until January of 1999. And then I know we met you guys at uh, TGS Spring TGS that year. Now were they when you got hired when you actually entered in the office? Were they UGA yet, or were they still no? Sega? They still Sega. We were. Uh, were you nine or thirteen? No, we were CS four Consumer Software Division four, and then we switched to R and D. All the divisions were turned into R&D. We were R&D 9. 9, right, yeah. And then we switched to UGA when we sort of went independent. When all the Sega right, they studios went independent, basically. They took right. all their different companies and gave them and a yeah, brand. Hitmaker. And, yeah. Yeah, and, so then, and then we got folded back into Sega, but we still held on to the UGA name, I think. Okay. I can't remember. Yeah. Like, we what, switched gears like Let's talk times. about what you, were, what you were doing. So when you first got there... What were they? What did they put you on? What were you working on? So when I first got there, I was actually working on a prototype for a game that never ended up shipping for an accessory that never ended up shipping. I don't know if I ever even told you guys this story, but it was kind of a wand. It was like a early mm, that sounds like a mighty wand. What yeah. does that sound like? Yeah, I know. <laughs> and so we did was some early early prototype stuff like that. No, I think. I think it was wired okay. because at least the version we had was like the, that's not the res uh, trans. Uh, no, 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 no. Wasn't no, no. that originally meant for knights? There was something about knights and a wand or motion control. I take the fifth. I actually have no re- recollection of that okay. data. Okay, we'll talk. Yeah. What Anyways, was the game? I got thrown on. It was very simple, very early prototype. We didn't. I mean, it was just like a month or two, and then they took me on to Space Channel Five because uh, I was kind of became friends with the art director, and I was sort of you know, teaching her Miyabi-san. Mm-hmm. I was sort of you know 
telling her my opinion of sort of the visuals and like how it was different from like the Japanese look and the American look and needs she, more Miss, uh, Miss Lady Kerr. Yeah, right. So she she ended up bringing me onto the project, awesome. so I could sort of you know we wanted to sort of broaden the. Uh, Make it not just a Japanese product, right? I mean, part of the reason, one of the benefits of having an American there was that they could have some American input and on, on the look development and the games and stuff. So I helped style uh, Ulala and kind of a bunch of the other characters in that game and ended up uh, animating a bunch of the bosses and sort of characters and just doing a bunch of art and, and different Were stuff you like involved that. with uh, Space Michael at all? So Space Michael, for those of you who don't know, uh, we were, I don't want to th- say beta, but we were late alpha. And Shuji Utsumi from Q Entertainment now came to us one day. He was Mizuguchi Sun's boss. He was the head of Sega development at the time. And he said, so uh, we had a meeting and um, the whole team was there listening, right? <laughs> um, so we had a meeting and uh, Michael, uh, we had a meeting with Michael and he wants to be in the game. Michael Jackson. We're like, Michael? <laughs> like what? And he's like, yeah, uh, oh yeah, Michael Jackson. Oh. <laughs> we're like, ah. Uh. <laughs> so it turns out we had a bunch of data from the Moonwalker days and people had worked with him on the team. I think Yudasan had worked with him on, Yudu- on Moonwalker or some of the other guys. I mean, there's a lot of old school Sega guys on the team. And so we just went into this crazy cram. And within a month, like the last month of production, like you got to understand how, how ridiculous this is. Like we just shoehorned in Michael Jackson into the game in like a month. <laughs> Shiny pants and all. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, you know, it was it was awesome. So that was really cool. And then after that, I mean, I, I really wanted to work on Res. Like, I you know, I was, I was huge into trance music at the time. I mean, I still am. But I was huge into clubbing and trance music and stuff. And so I used to go out clubbing with Music Gucci Song quite a bit. And uh, the Res stuff was just starting to get prototyped. And then I found out that a bunch of the guys that were working on it were ex-Panzer Dragoon guys. And I was like a huge Panzer Dragoon fan. And I kind of yeah. just like, that freaked me out too. And I was like, you guys, you got to, sh- you know, you got to put me on this project. And so he's like, yeah, don't worry. So right when it was kind of just starting to get going, um, there had been like three or four guys prototyping for a couple months at that point. But I went under res. There's some video actually of the early There's a lot of video, yeah. prototype on the, like a British TV show or something showed back when it was a, a person running on a, yeah, yeah. Uh, like a wire, right? So that was, all, that was largely all that character stuff. The early stuff was largely uh, Matsuzaki-san, my buddy that I'm always kind of hanging out with over here. He's now like the head of Super Mario, I think. And he's like he's one, one of the, of the main guys on, on Super Mario Galaxy. Super Galaxy, right? yeah. Yeah. So one of the most talented, amazing, creative, like freakishly intelligent people you'll ever meet. It's just the nicest guy too. So uh, yeah, those guys taught me a ton about uh, design and uh, you know working on uh, sort of the whole design process. These guys were just amazing designers. I had gone to animation school and I would like draw. I'd sit there and I'd draw some stuff and I'd be like, yeah, that's cool, you know. And then like I just make stuff up and I really had no process. And these guys would like scribble and like look at all this weird reference and I really didn't understand the process. So they tried to teach me a lot. And they taught me a lot about design, but, like, there was a lot missing. So I ended mm. up leaving. After that, we res shipped, had an amazing time. Well, yeah, talk about before you left, you were working on some things before you left, right? Yeah, so after res, we, uh, they actually went on to do a res 2 prototype. And I left to join Yudasan, who was the director of the original Space Channel 5, on whoa, another... Whoa, whoa. What was that? Whoa. What was that res 2 prototype? There's a, there's a video. There's a video out there somewhere. I wish I had it, but there's a video of res 2. Just you mean like in Mizuguchi's closet, or you mean like out on the internet? Somewhere? I don't think it's available anywhere. I've never seen it anywhere outside of Sega. Well, just okay, it. okay. <laughs> so it exists, but it's not like anyone Talk can go find yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I mean, it, this is like what eight years ago now. Um, Same basic idea, still. Uh, no, it's a little different. A little more trippy in the sense that uh, more trippy. flowers and stuff. Uh, it was more a bit. I, know, I hate to say more abstract than Res because that's hard like to Child say. Of Eden. It was a little bit different, though. It was a little bit different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wish that I could 
find it. I, I, I didn't didn't I didn't even think to, you know to grab it. Or and what happened? That just got that got so Res. You know the American marketing team of Sega is a real bunch of heroes at that time, and uh, <laughs> the Res market. You know the marketing job on that was just a train wreck, and the game sold about fifteen copies. And I think they're like Res two, <laughs> right? And so that okay. went away for a long time. Well, it is interesting though because it didn't it didn't do great in Japan either. But that, but when now years later after like all of this. Uh, Acclaim, and after time has passed, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about a game being ahead of its time. Apparently, sold really well. Res HD on. Uh, well, on I think Xbox by now Live. people know. You know, there's been you know talk about it for years, and people are always right. comparing other games to Res. Right. Well, and I think the market has expanded for what a game can be. It's not like at the time it was really like, what is this? Is not a, like a normal like kind of game, you know? And um, and then I think it's people's idea of the, oh that you can have something like. Um, God, I'm totally blanking on the uh, the Sony game. Um, Parappa the Rapper? Not Flower, but uh, their game before that. Um, Flow. Uh, Flow. You can have something that is just kind of cool and artistic and has like a game element to it, but is not like a full-featured you know, game mechanic game. And I think that's just like exploded in the last couple of years, and I think that's like Res is a huge part of that. People like realize that now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were so... Um we were so in love with it, working on it. We thought it was going to be, you know, a big hit. And, yeah, you know, we spent a lot of time prototyping different stuff. We spent a lot of time playing with it. We really wanted to make something that felt different and it really felt easy to play. And, you know, Mizuguchi-san insisted that we put in the the uh, traveling mode, which is basically you don't die. So anybody can play it and sort of play through it. You can't go to the last stage, I think, which is actually, unfortunately, the last, you know, the best stage of the game. But, mm. um, you know, it was, it was a very experimental take. And, I mean, I... I he was awesome to work with. It was an amazing project. Probably, you know, one of the best projects I've ever worked on besides, you know, and now Skulls of the Shogun is obviously having a ton of fun <laughs> with that. But it Res before that was definitely the most, you know, the coolest thing I've ever worked on. What was the, like, the environment there at UGA? Because you, you guys made Space Channel 5 and you made Res. Was it, like, a very, was it, like, a typical... Japanese developer. I mean, I remember seeing your office and seeing you had yeah. like a little tent around your desk and stuff. But I do remember you saying like the hours were kind of crazy. It wasn't super efficient, um, like that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, I think. Oh, I mean, I was really lucky. Like, you know, I met other people through my travels in Tokyo, and I met other people who you know worked at other studios. And definitely, I think I had it a lot better. I think Mizuguchi is one of the coolest people you could ever work for. You know, and it, we worked really hard hours, and you know, it, it was a lot of. It was a lot of time and a lot of work, but um, uh, <laughs> sorry, yeah. I just got distracted there. What was I talking about? You were talking about uh, what it was so like that, working there. Like, yeah, no, he was. It wasn't wild, told, crazy. Like everybody's tripping on acid at four no, o'clock in the afternoon. No, 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 no. I mean, okay. it was it was a pretty normal team. There was a couple cool people that we brought in to collaborate with. Some of the guys, some of the musicians and stuff from Res were. Wasn't there music in that? That was like like was it Underworld or Underworld? Something? Yeah, okay. Underworld uh, for the X slice for the vertical slice of the game. We had the first level pretty much finished. We had Underworld in it, and uh, it was awesome. And we with their cooperation, I guess, or. No, and then when oh. we went to get their cooperation, they're like, we don't want to be in a shooting game. We told them it was a shooting game. They're like, we don't want to be in a violent shooting game. We're uh. like, well, it's really not violent. It's actually pretty abstract. I think you guys would like it, but I've somehow right. talks fell down. We also were deep in talks with Apex Twin, and um, who was the other guy, too? And everybody ended up bailing on it, except for uh, Adam Freeland was the only foreigner, I think. Everybody else was either a local t- Tokyo DJ or uh, an actual in-house Sega guy. Well, it worked out. Yeah. So, uh, what was going on besides Res 2 when you uh, finally left UGA? You were so, on- I'd, I'd worked on, um, like I said, those guys went on to the Res 2 thing, and I joined a small team of guys doing a GameCube adventure game that had some really clever mechanics. and um, Like what? 
it was a goofy <laughs> little game. I don't know how much I can talk about this, but I mean, it was just like it was a little action platformer with a bunch of little dudes, and they all had different little abilities, and it was like this goofy, crazy little game, and it was so much fun, and like, we were just totally in love with that too. We were like, wow, mm. this is going to be awesome, and it ended up getting canned. Um, by an American exec who didn't think that it was going to sell over there. And without the American support, the Japanese backed out too. So we sort of, I think at that time, we sort of got transferred onto like Adam, like Astro Boy, which was the first time everybody in that studio had worked on a non-original IP. And so, you know, working on stuff like Space Channel 5 and Res and going to like, here's the artwork from this cartoon, make right. this. Everyone was like, oh. <laughs> and so people just started dropping. That was when the studio sort of just yeah, fell the, the apart, Yeah, the studio right? sort of fell apart. Yeah. And, you know, I left. I think I had the last Soviet guy, like the last sort of going away party as an employee. And then mm. after that, like everything just kind of like fell out from underneath him. Most people got transferred to Sonic Team. Mizuguchi-san himself left. Right. And, you know, that was that was the end of, of UGA as an era. So you went back to school for a while. But- so, yeah, I, like I was, I was talking about earlier, the design stuff. I, you know, I learned that there's a lot to being an intelligent designer, not just drawing stuff. And so I, I'd kind of had enough of Japan at the time, and we were, you know, just making... I had gotten married, and we were just making enough money to sort of get by, and I was like... I gotta, I gotta get better at this, and I wasn't really in love with 3D anymore. On that last project, I started being the uh, the lead background guy, and I started doing a lot more paintings and texture paintings and sort of like concept paintings and stuff. And I was like, wow, this is way more fun than clicking in 3D. Mm-hmm. And so I, I went back to the states and got a jo- or, uh, study at the Art Center, College of Design, uh, in, in product design, industrial design, illustration, stuff like that. Super famous. School. Yeah, yeah, one of the top car design and, and, and most entertainment guys, actually. Most of the top concept artists in, in Hollywood film, most of them come through Art Center in one way or another. So, um, but then EA came calling. Yeah, so I was going to graduate. I, I went through, like, like most people take a couple terms and they take a couple terms off because it's, like, super hardcore and it's like just it just beats the hell out of you. Um, I was married and I was, like, in my 30s and I was, like, I'm not some 22-year-old kid that can afford to just sort of, you know, bounce around here like I was borrowing money and so I powered through seven terms straight and you know almost killed me I mean I was just going crazy and then I was going to take a term off because I was just sort of melting and uh, <laughs> Alan Yu from EA called me up one day he's like hey you know why don't you come down to EA and, and have an interview or you know come down and talk to me about a job here and I was like yeah I'm, I gotta I gotta graduate dude I gotta graduate He's like, well, just just come down. Just come down and talk to me. <laughs> so I went down there, and it turns out they're working with Steven Spielberg on this, you know, top secret LMNO project. And he's like, you know, you sure you don't want a job? I was like, <laughs> let me let, let me go home and talk to my wife. So I told my wife, I was like, you know, I know we, you know, we put a lot of effort into this and I want to graduate. But EA offered me a job working with Steven Spielberg. And, you know, what, what should I do? And she just grabbed me, literally. Like, she's this little Japanese lady. She grabbed me and she's like, you take that job. Really? Yeah. I, was like, oh. I thought she was going like, to get ready to smack you over there. No, no, no. She's like, you take that job. And I was That's like, great. okay. Because we were stressed out. I mean, she was yeah. miserable. I was like, you know, just staying up all night, you know, just going crazy, working on the stuff, trying to get mm. the presentations finished. Just like, you know, my life was just out of control. It was just, tor- you know, it was a dark, dark time for me. I mean, I learned a lot, but it was, it was harsh. Right. Right. So EA was an awesome breath of fresh air. I worked with some really smart people there. And we jumped right into like the really early pre-production. At this point, my career kind of switched over to pre-production. I'd been a production guy for a long time. So what happened there? Because I remember when you were at this job, you came to San Francisco and you were taking pictures of buildings like a crazy homeless person. I mean, you were just like, (laughs) not the crazy homeless person take a lot of pictures of buildings, but like you were obsessed, like crazed. Like There was going to be a part of the game in San Francisco and I was the the lead environmental concept artist. So I was like, I'm going to go get a ton of reference and just, you know, get a bunch of stuff and like... The gameplay stuff we were talking about, and so what? What for people who don't know, Elemento, what's known about it anyway? And there's like one screenshot out there that came from uh, Nguy Kroll's blog, one E3. You got like one screen. Uh, it's very blurry, small. You helped create that screen, I think. Actually, that bull yeah. shot, yeah, uh, <laughs> bull shot. But it was supposed Busted. to be. It was supposed to a. It was supposed to game. It was supposed to like have an emotional connection, make you cry. Uh, b. You were supposed to be escorting this kind of. 
it was kind of ambiguous, like maybe like an alien girl or something like that. Something like that. North by Northwest familiar. was mentioned yeah. in it, and uh, Eco. Some people were saying because you were like escorting this. Yeah, person again, around. I don't want to get the EA police on me. I can't say too much, but yeah, I mean, it was it was very uh, ambitious, and that was the problem. Yeah. It was very ambitious. We had a small team, um, very smart people working on it, um, and we spent a lot of time thinking and talking and doing some stuff, and it just sort of. You know, I don't know exactly what was the you know the the thing that make it fell apart. I'm mm-hmm. I heard death by right too now. many ideas, basically. Like I, so I, many I'm sure ideas. anybody you asked to is going to tell you something a little bit different. But yeah, mm-hmm. it just it didn't end up ever taking off. There was some rival game stuff that may or may not have come out of EA that was basically the same thing minus some of the stuff we were doing, and it was just a lot of politics and a lot of stuff. Anyways, it ended up sort of stalling. And while it was mm-hmm. sort of flatlining, I was like, well, I got to do something else because I was kind of running out of stuff to do because they weren't going to do a bunch more artwork until they sort of finished the chunk that they were working on. Right. And so at that point, I asked to be transferred to the Command & Conquer team because I just wanted to do a bunch of sci-fi vehicles and stuff like that. So left that project after, I think I was on it for two and a half years. Went to, uh, yeah, it was a long time. Two and a half years? Yeah. Wow. After that, I went to uh, the Command & Conquer team. I was there for about a year, and then um, we were going to have a kid and uh, kind of... Wanted to come back to Japan, but didn't have a way. I was working everything I, I had, working every angle I had to get back to Japan, working somehow. <laughs> uh, nothing really panned out, so uh, I took the job in Seattle at Zombie, where I was art director on uh, Blacklight Tango Down for PSN and um, Xbox Live and PC. And for the first time in my career, I was art directing, which means you don't have time to draw, which was way more traumatic than I kind of was ready for. Um, it's one of those, you're great at your job, so now uh, tell other people how to do yeah. it. Yeah, I really enjoyed art directing. I mean, I really had good camaraderie with the art guys, and, and we had a lot of fun, but I just I needed to like, get that creative bug out of me. So I started just doing this game kind of on nights and weekends. Plus, I had a baby boy, and I was like totally grounded. I couldn't leave the house. So I just started working on this game on nights and weekends, um, and right then, kind of like right when the like the stuff was kind of getting going, I had a good concept. I called my buddy Barut, who was the lead AI guy on on LMNO, and uh, really like world class programmer. The guy is just a genius. And so I said, "Hey, I have this great idea." He's like, "Well, I'm working on an engine, and I'm tired of corporate bullshit, and I want to go indie <laughs> punk rock." And I was like, "Hey, awesome, let's do this." So, so you guys, you guys have been getting a lot of attention recently. You were just showing the Edge article. Kotaku had a really great write up on you guys. Mike McWhorter came here, showed it in our office. Yes. Right, yeah. our office fast becoming Jake Casdell's uh, remote <laughs> office. Was, right. uh, we, we saw it for the first time to TGS in this office, right? That's yeah. right. That's also correct. Black uh, Black Light Tango Down was signed in this office a lot of business goes down here (laughs) coincidentally but um but you guys are talking right now to a lot of different publishers right you're getting we have been talking to some of the bigger ones um you know there's been some frustration with the corporate level of mentality um a lot of you know the the big corporate behemoth you know like just they like part they like this part but they don't like that part and they want it you know and there's just there's a thousand people that need to convene and come together to to an answer and it's been it's been trying and so now we're talking to some smaller developer publishers needs more farming elements yeah we're talking to some smaller publishers that we have some relations with and uh things are looking pretty promising now so i think uh my headaches are about to go away actually awesome yeah well yeah so if you're listening to this yeah and you're you're curious about it we'll have links but you can check it out skulls of the Shogun. There's a really the fucking music from the trailer. Like I'm humming it all the time. Actually, <laughs> it like repeats in my head and it builds. And I've so I'm yeah, there's for uh, days. We got to figure out what to do because Sam, who was the lead sound guy in Command and Conquer Four, with me, uh, a good buddy of mine, an amazing musician. He did all the music for that. He joined the team when we first started because um, they laid off the entire Command and Conquer team, EA, and all their grand wisdom. 
Um, <laughs> and uh, he's also in like three rock bands, and now he's like right. super going off on his rock career. And so mm-hmm. he has been having a really he's done like amazing work for the game, but it's been like two songs over the course of a year. And so uh, I. While in Tokyo, I, I met up with one of my old buddies who's a really famous uh, DJ here in Tokyo. He's an American guy. He's been here for forever. Amazing musician, though. I've been a fan of his stuff long before I met him. And, and I sort of showed him the game and I talked to him. And he really wants to be a part of it. So as of about a week ago, he's our new uh, audio guy. Who is he? And so his name's Makio. Uh, he owns a label called Dikini Records. Hmm. com. you can check it out. Just like super deep dub, psyche, psychedelic, trancey dub stuff. And. My game is all that takes place in the afterlife, and so I thought it should be very psychedelic and dubby. And so, <laughs> uh, my friend Nijio, his, his stage name is Makio. He's he's doing the music now, and it's amazing. But the problem is, I think his stuff's going to be very different than than Sam's stuff. Mm. And so, I'm going to Sam's actually kind of finishing up this week. He's going to try to finish the tracks that he's given me. But I think we're probably going to have to have Gio maybe remix them or something to sort of get them all in line with all the rest of the music that's going to be for the rest of the game because right. it's going to sound a little bit different because it's two guys. Well, in any case, you, you, people people are curious. People want to hear all the stuff the stuff you're talking about. Watch, listen to the old music, listen to the new music, check out screenshots, movies, all that shit. Skullsoftheshogun.com. Boom. All right. <laughs> Cool, and uh, Jake, you have to leave us, right? You're running to meet a whole bunch of uh, yeah, people so, we were just talking about. Yeah, once <laughs> a year, the uh, the entire United Game Artists crew kind of gets together. Our old building has been converted into a bunch of bars and restaurants. So mm-hmm. every year we get together and we drink ourselves silly in Music of Chisan's old office. Pretty and, awesome. Uh, nice. Yeah, that's and he actually almost never comes, and uh, I met him earlier this week, and he's going to actually come join us this week with a bunch of the other guys, too. So it's going to be like awesome. a world-class reunion this week. So so you want to see pictures of that maybe on Twitter? What should give out your I Twitter name? camera because I lost oh, somebody's oh. camera charger and the batteries did. Um, what about no. your iPhone? I have my iPhone. Yeah, my iPhone. I'll take some, some crappy iPhone pictures. So give out your Twitter name. Twitter is uh, jkooza, J-K-O-O-Z-A. And uh, you can find me through any of these guys, I'm pretty sure. Cool. And, awesome. Uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks for coming by, Jake. Thanks Thank for you. having me. It's been fun. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm we, sure you'll be back when you're when you're living here after your game. When is I'm rich and famous yes, after my exactly. indie game sells a million <laughs> copies. That's right. Help right. Jake. Sell, help Jake get back to Japan if you like them on yeah, the podcast. Jake, Jake get back to Japan fund. By the way, weren't you looking for a PS3 programmer? I am looking for a PS3 programmer. Yeah, so right. if anybody out yeah. there is a uh, yeah, elite we, PS3 programmer, we have we have uh, another programmer, uh, Ben Vance, who's also XEA. Um, so there's two two main engineers on the project, and uh, we were sort of just doing an Xbox and PC version, and our horizons have expanded as of late. So we're looking for a very talented PS3 engineer to help uh, to help out with this thing. So cool. so if you're out there and you're interested, his his Twitter again is J K O O Z A. Find him. Yep. We'll find him on the website. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks, Hi, man. Word. See you later. The hurricane has blown away, blown yes. out of the building, yeah. and yep. uh, soon out of Japan. But we're going to stay here and keep making podcasts, maybe every week. Potentially. Maybe. The next, weekly, bi-weekly podcast. Yeah. We have an idea for next week, so right. we're not sure if we can do it exactly or not, but there might be a special guest in town. Yeah. As yeah. always, no promises, but it looks good that we're going to have a guest in town next week. Yeah. So. And uh, just a couple other notes, like... Mm-hmm. Um, We've been promising a lot of uh, getting to listener feedback. We've been getting it, hearing it, 
cataloging it. John has been taking copious notes. Yes. Um, <laughs> especially the ones about how awesome we are. Right. Um, um, but, them. Yeah. But, uh, but thank you guys for that. Definitely keep it coming. We want to keep letting you know. We are hearing it. We are going to have uh, more of a... Uh, it's going to stay freeform, but we're going to have sections and bits. It's going to be more organized than it was this week for sure. Right. Um, this is just kind of fly by the seat of our pants. I am going to be talking less. Um, <laughs> I want to promise people that. It's not going to be the, right. the me show. Hiroko is going to be talking, talking more. more. Yep. Um, John and JJ are going to sound less like each other. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> we have all sorts of plans, and um, I know we keep saying this, and I probably will keep saying it. It will take some time to implement, but for anybody who knows us for the two years that it took us where we were promising a podcast i think it was three (laughs) okay well they know that we deliver point is we deliver it won't be three years from now but we do have stuff in the works we uh are gonna get better we are gonna get um a little more uh organized and scheduled but we have a lot of ideas for different stuff than every other podcast is doing we don't want to be we can't compete basically with the um four guys uh, formula, especially since there's only three guys and one girl, right? <laughs> um, but and 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 we don't want to. Some people are out there doing that awesome right now. So we have different ideas, ideas that are going to give you more of a glimpse inside of what we do um, uh, with guests from the Japan industry. We've been talking about some people were asking about, can you have guests on that only speak Japanese? Yes, we can. We've done some tests. It sounds pretty good. We'll work it out. We'll work it out. <laughs> yeah. We have some friends in the industry, people who'd be interested in hearing from. So. Um, yeah. Anyway, when uh, when I'm not on the last week of a project, a giant project that I'm working on as well, <laughs> yeah. um, I'll try to not be so scattershot. But um, in the meantime, yes, basic message, keep the feedback coming, keep listening, keep telling your friends. Um, the response has been great so far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the feedback, if you want to give it to us, you can go to the boards on 1UP, of course. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neogaff.com. There's usually a thread. Yes. Of course, 8-4.jp. We have comments there. You yes. can listen yeah. to it there as well. Or our Twitter accounts. Uh, I am John TV. I'm Hiroko84. SPRSK. And Mark MacD. So hit us up there. There's also a 8-4-play uh, yes. Yeah, on Twitter, Twitter that nobody is following, or <laughs> <laughs> we've got like seventy-five or eighty people. We'll Getting build it our out. information from um, it's, it's scarcely updated. We'll work too. it out. We'll work it out. Okay. So one other thing we've been promising we were going to get some kind of ending phrase. <laughs> Suppose so. JJ said that he came up with something. I'm, brace, I'm me, bracing it. myself. Me, me, Brad from Sony and Jon Snow. Uh, oh. out. Okay. Wait. I think I might have. I heard this. I stopped you when you were going to say it earlier tonight because I was going to save it for the podcast. So. Go ahead and, uh, and and try it out, and we'll let. I'm, I I honestly I think I know what you might say. Mm. John and Hiroko definitely don't. So we're gonna let you do it this time, no matter what it is. We're not gonna <laughs> laugh at it. We're not gonna do whatever. <laughs> it's you. going to be the None. end of the show. Okay. And we are going to let people say what they think of it. Yes. Um, if afterwards, you, if you love it, let us know. And if you hate it, if you hate it, definitely let us know. Because <laughs> I have a pretty strong opinion. One way, I'm not gonna say which one it really? is. Really? Yeah. We'll talk about it next time. <laughs> that wasn't a very excited sound. No, yeah. no, go, yeah. go. <laughs> All right. Now I'm no, no, nervous no. about it. I'm, I'm, I'm wrong. Mark hates it already. I'm wrong. Well, I'm wrong. I forgot what it was already. All right. Take okay. us away, JJ. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Yep. Thank you. See you in a, Well, wait. I shouldn't do that because then... Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, until two weeks from now, maybe one week? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, thank you all for listening, but our podcast is in another castle. <laughs>